Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Gig Impressive podcast. Uh, my name is Stefan Binkowski. He's Manu Vett. He's Matt Ford. And today, this week, I'm hosting the show because I had my in-laws run at the weekend and didn't watch any football. Um, and that's really the only way that we could shoot on me into the show because I really had nothing else to say. That's not to say I won't be offering my opinion because, as long-time listeners will know, I struggle to keep my opinions to myself. But uh, at least on paper, Matt and Manu are are uh, chosen opinionators today. Uh, Matt, I'll go with you first. How you doing, buddy? Well, right. It sounds like I saw more football than you. Um, I didn't go to the most exciting game of the weekend. I was in Leverkusen on, on Friday night. So it was record-breaking. I think we've established that. Although we've always had to work out precisely what record it was but there were a couple there were a few records involved and um yeah quite a little bit of the action a bit of Bayern a bit of Dortmund a bit of Stuttgart so yeah enough to uh enough to get our teeth into I think I think so uh Manu how you doing yeah I'm doing good I have to say despite you being off on the weekend you still managed to on Sunday and this is a great word that Matt learned last week um pizza me about what was going on within the Bundesliga games. And Pisaken is, of course, border, bordering me and like pointing at me and asking me what's going on with the Dortmund game. Pisaken, of course, a, a nice Munich word. Matt, I think. Uh, I was grateful yeah. for my. I was grateful for some Bavarian, uh, Bavarian lessons off uh, off Manu. Um, yeah, that's uh, my, yeah. my Bavarian word of the week. <laughs> yeah, I was getting the goal. I was getting the goal um, updates on my phone when I was out for lunch. I think it was, or maybe it was dinner. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just putting in the group chat. I was like, "Oh, Dortmund." And then I was like, "Oh, Hoffenheim." I was like, "No, no, oh, Dortmund." Um, so yeah, there's a wee taster of what's to come. Um, but we've obviously got Dortmund. We're going to jump into Leverkusen game, Bayern, uh, and as Matt said, we'll try and grab the Cologne game as well versus Stuttgart and. Um, a lot more as well if we can, as much as we can squeeze into 45 minutes, really. Uh, and that will all be coming right after this break. BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. Yeah, so Matt, um, Leverkusen made history uh, on Friday night. 33 games, if I'm not mistaken now, unbeaten. Um, we did, as you said a moment ago, we did have to kind of figure out what those 33 games constituted. Um and uh, it does, of course, mean all competitions going all the way back to that semi-final defeat to Roma in the Europa League last season. So this is obviously in the German Cup, Europe, and the Bundesliga. And you know, for anyone who maybe missed this game, Matt, it was a game that Bayer uh, Bayer Leverkusen won two one against Mainz on paper. You know, pretty straightforward, but the goals kind of came quite uh, probably fair to say quite uh, unorthodox means is that be a fair way to, to 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 say yeah in both cases um and the mind's goalkeeper robin Sentner having a yeah pretty big part to play not just in the two not just in the two goals but also on a few other occasions throughout the game um it 
if Leverkusen go on to win this, go on to win this league, the two-one-two-one win at home to Mainz is not going to be one that that stands out as a, as a big moment. Um, apart from perhaps in the in the in the history books in terms of you know the, the moment they went thirty-three games unbeaten. Um, it was also Florian Wirtz's one uh, hundredth Bundesliga appearance. He's the became the fourth youngest player to um, to do that. He's one day younger at that landmark than uh, uh, Jamal Musiala. And as some people pointed out, I think rightly, had he not been helped for the best part of a year with that ACL team, he'd probably have come, probably have hit that landmark, that, that landmark um, a lot earlier. Um, and it was also Robert Hendrick's uh, 100th game for Bayer Leverkusen, I think, uh, in, in centre midfield. So... Quite a lot of records being broken. Um, Granite Xhaka tried to get a record for the quickest Bundesliga goal. Not quite. <laughs> uh, I think it was only yeah, two or three minutes. Um, Taught me by surprise. But at first glance, and I'm interested to see what you two think of this, at first glance, I, I thought that Robin Zentner should have been doing better with that. I think Granite Xhaka, I, I think he has hit it well. Um, I don't think it's right in the top corner, and I wonder if Zentner's been caught cold a little bit there in the in the third minute. Mm, it, it's it's a tricky one, right? Because he comes. Does he get his hand on it? I'm trying to recall, because like no, it goes over the, up over the top of him, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, usually if I, you know, my you my rule is if you this this is one all my goalkeeper coaches have always taught me: if you get your hand on it, you better stop it, <laughs> even if it's just your fingertips. Because it meant you can reach it, right? Which means you can probably find a better solution to keep the ball out of the net. Um, I I do think that's a really tricky shot um, overall. I do think he was he had an odd performance, didn't he? Because he was had moments of brilliance, and then he had he had moments like the second goal. Um, and they, they also were, I think he stumbled once as well. Yeah, um, there was some, there was some tougher shots moment. that came. Yeah. Some tough shots that came his way, particularly I think from Xhaka again. I think from Andrix. So no, Andrix was, was the goal, was the, the winning goal. But the, yeah, there was a couple of other, a couple of other efforts from Granite Xhaka, which I thought were hit a lot harder and a lot better, which Robin uh, Robin Tender dealt with a lot better. Um, he also recovered well from a couple of his well, his own errors, which um, I think one once in the in, in the build up. Mind's trying to play it out from the back. Which they actually had some success with at times, but on a couple of occasions they also ended up giving the ball away and inviting Leverkusen on. Um, Zentner <clears throat> did get back to, to, to save the day there on a couple of occasions. Um, and then, yeah, I'm sure people would have seen um, the way that the winning goal comes about. It wasn't a, it wasn't as if by Leverkusen didn't deserve to, to come away with three points, but obviously the way it came about was... Um, yeah, pretty pretty unfortunate for for Zedner fumbling the ball the way he did. But you make but you make your own luck, right? Like you you force the error, um, and yes, the goal comes and it's 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 extremely deserved at that stage. But you know this is a this is the this is the kind of thing where you put a pressure on your opponent until the opponent breaks, and you don't know how your opponent will eventually break. In this case, it was Zedner making a, a huge mistake to allow the second goal. But, you know, at the end of the day, you look at this result and you say, yeah, that's very well deserved. I had a thought after this game. Um, I kind of sense and feel that Leverkusen are really just getting by at the moment until Boniface comes back, right? They're like, yeah, let's just grind out these results until we get a proper number nine who can score on a regular basis for us again. And if we get through the stretch until the end of April, uh, end of March, right? Because he comes back in April. And we have to remember too, March is going to be shorter because of the international break, right? So um, I, I kind of sense at the moment, they're just like, oh, if we win 
all games in, in March and then we get Boniface back, we're in a really good place. It's actually a little bit counterintuitive um, that they're, yeah, they, they seem to be not struggling, that's the wrong word, but they, they've become less spectacular against some of the lower teams in the league where they probably are missing that number nine. I think, can, yeah, perhaps paradoxically, you can get away with not having a proper number nine up front and play with three number tens when you're playing against the likes of Bayern or Stuttgart because the game is so much more open. You can hit them on the break more. You can you can combine a lot more. Um, I don't think you're going to get that much joy out of even um, a, a, a Bayern Munich at the moment with just bagging balls into a big a big centre forward. However, they can they can make the difference um, against some of the some of the lesser teams. But yeah, two really hard fought wins away at Heidenheim, then at home to at home to Mainz. Um, there was a couple of little observations that I thought regarding Xavi Alonso, and I, I wouldn't be necessarily be too much into it. But I thought he was, I thought he was one of the angriest I've ever seen him. It was partly to do with the referee performance. He was definitely frustrated at that, and I think he was frustrated. He did, yeah, um, and he was frustrated as well. I think at particularly the the quite the, the hard physical approach that Mainz took to dealing with Florian Wirtz. Um, Sylvan Widmer definitely seemed to have been tasked with taking Wirtz out of the game and went into him pretty hard on a couple of occasions in the first half, which had Xavi Alonso quite upset. However, the booking came on a Leverkusen counter-attack when I think it's um, Unwini, who has been, well, seemingly brought down Frimpong. Frimpong definitely thinks he's been brought down. Yeah, Um, he was brought down. 100%. 100%. You know, there was yeah, contact yeah, there. Yeah, there was, there was a little bit of contact. And going, going at that pace, I mean, you can see how Frimpong has gone flying. And I talked to him, well, not necessarily talking to him, I overheard a lot of the Mainz uh, analytical staff at half time, all absolutely insisting that it was a dive. Look at Frimpong getting wound up. Um, he's just upset because he's dived and not got um, and not, not got a free kick for it. I think there probably was. Yeah, probably was contact at that pace. But yeah, that's what got him booked for, for complaining. It's also what got Jabby Alonso booked for complaining. Didn't stop Alonso from legging it over to the referee at half time and having to go at him on the pitch and walking off with him. So yeah, one of the more agitated that I've seen Javi uh, Alonso. Again, I wouldn't read too much into it. I'm not suggesting that the pressure's getting to them or um, anything like that. But just, yeah, I just thought it was interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, if he's getting frustrated at cynical challenge against Mainz, God help him when they come up against Cologne uh, next weekend in the derby, uh, particularly when it comes to tackles on Florian Wurst, um, who, as listeners will probably know, uh, isn't exactly um, well-received, shall we say, um, by Cologne fans. Um, obviously, a it's former actually academy player. Actually against Cologne, wasn't it, that he that he, that he yeah. tore his ACL? I mean, not necessarily from a bad tackle, necessarily a bad tackle, but um, yeah, that was a bad one. I think there was a bad tackle in the 3-0 win at the start of the season as well, if I'm not mistaken. That got some news, maybe. Don't know. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 really fascinating how how Leverkusen are kind of rumbling on. Their XG was actually really low in this game. It was 1.2, I think I saw. Mainz's wasn't far off that themselves. And... I mean, I'm kind of okay with the goalkeeper for the first goal. You can kind of see he almost kind of steps back, thinking, "Oh, that's going over." And then just kind of dips in, and I'm, you know, I can see. And when you see it from the second angle, like from the kind of linesman's view, you really do see how it just kind of dips just under the crossbar. Obviously, the second goal is just an absolute howler, and that alone is really what kind of gave Leverkusen all three points here. I suppose now. You know, it was only the seventieth minute, so they had like an extra what 20, 25 minutes to obviously turn it around. But yeah, but you know, the all... game was over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah. At that point, yeah, and of course, Mainz then get a red card. But 
if that it's it's a kind of interesting what if and as you guys talk about how they are just kind of doing enough to get by these games and you know Derby aside they've got Cologne next which you'd expect them to do something similar in Wolfsburg who haven't exactly been uh you know aren't exactly the hard glow trotters when it comes to scoring goals Freiburg who've been struggling Union Berlin sorry Hoffenheim before that who this weekend's result aside have been in poor form and then Union Berlin Werder Bremen Dortmund and Stuttgart but by that point, you know, that kind of stretch at the top of the table may have increased. Who knows? Um, so, as you said, Manu, they're just kind of maybe just binding time until they can bring Boniface back. Because if you actually look at the match winners in that squad, the thing that really intrigues me about Leverkusen is that perhaps Jonas Hoffman's a perfect example of this, where so many of these players who on paper are good individual players, they've just kind of slotted into kind of almost like supporting roles for Verts this season, where... Hoffman just does so much running for him. Adley just does so much running for him. Um, you know, obviously the two white players just play off him tremendously well. Um, but it also means that if Verts isn't the guy scoring the goals or setting up the goals, it's not like someone like Klozik can exactly step in and win the game for them, is it? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it, it's interesting. You just looked at the match calendar here and, um, you know, they have three games until until the... Um, until the international break, right? Um, and then in those three games, because you said they were rumbling on, um, let me just recap this here. Um, obviously, they have Köln next week, which I think is actually going to be a pretty tricky game. Then they have Wolfsburg on a Sunday. Then they have Freiburg in Freiburg on a Sunday. Lots of Sunday games, obviously, because of um, the Europa League fixtures, right? Then they have essentially two weeks off because of the international break. Um, and then after the international break, they have Hoffenheim. And then I actually expect Boniface to be back as maybe as early as like the Union Berlin game, right? Because the the, the projection was April. Um, so you really need to just get through these next three games to, to be in a really good position. And you're right, look, attacking-wise, it's it's going to be about Florian Wirtz and the, the way he carries the team and maybe hopefully get Patrick Schick going in one way or another. But I just, I don't know, I just get the sense they're just grinding out results at the moment. And if they get to the international break with this eight-point gap, maybe maybe 11 or 10 points, who knows, so let it be down to five, you're in a really good place. You know, I'm just repeating myself here, but I think you're in a really good place. Yeah, well, Matt, unless you have any final thoughts on Leverkusen, I might move on to another team who have not been grinding out results um, in Bayern Munich. Any passing comment before we move on nope uh, I don't know if Matt's you still there Matt I am now but I lost, I lost you for about 20 seconds uh, <laughs> that's alright I think that's actually but, perfect I was but, asking if you had any final comments about Leverkusen uh, you, you should have just you, moved on I should have just moved on yeah that's why I'm not the host um <laughs> anyway, I'll just I'll just do that segue, even though I've already kind of linked to it from one team who have been grinding the results to one team who hadn't up until this weekend, um, but arguably did. Uh, is obviously Bayern Munich who picked up a two-one win over Leipzig. Um, Manu, this was such an interesting game. Um, we were talking about it with our subscribers in the subscriber chat. Uh, at one point, I kind of summed it up as two teams who don't really seem to want to win this game, two teams who seasons are all but over. It felt very much like a match that 
you know, typically around maybe like, um, you know, May time or April or something when Bayern have already kind of won the league and it's uh, Leipzig versus Dortmund and they're just kind of sharing blows between who finishes second, third. Um, it kind of had the feel of, to me of that kind of game. Um, but I don't, I'd love to know what your thoughts were. Yeah, I don't think Bayern Munich are going to give up on the title until Bayer Leverkusen hold the title up at uh, wherever they're going to celebrate it, right? I mean, the, the, the joke in Germany is Leverkusen come with a title because their city hall doesn't have a balcony to celebrate it from. Um, I've been told by a Leverkusen fan they're just going to do it at, at either the castle or the at the stadium. But, you know, until the moment that Javi Alonso and Granit Xhaka uh, are parading around Leverkusen with that title, I think Bayern Munich are not going to give up. Um, having said that, um, it does seem like a little bit of a futile endeavor in, in some ways because even this game, there's there's a couple of things that I really liked. Let's let's start with the positives before we go into the negatives, right? I think that um, with the freedom of being relieved of his position, Thomas Tuchel finally gets his lineup right, um, and I think that tells you a lot about the internal politics at Bayern Munich. Is that uh, Joshua Kimmich is playing where I think he's actually at his best, and that's right back. Um, you know, he put Pavlovich in that number six position next to, to Goretzka, which I think is, we, we might actually, we will probably see something very similar for Germany, right? Um, you know, with Toni Kroos coming back, Kimmich's position in midfield is now gone. Nagelsmann has pretty much confirmed that um, uh, in various, you know, there was a big interview with Spiegel, for example, where he said Kimmich is going to be a right back, Kroos is going to play in midfield. Um the writing on this has been on the wall. I think it tells you a lot about the internal politics at Bayern Munich that no coach has attempted it until the coach had nothing to lose anymore. And that's the case here with Thomas Tuchel, right? Because like the moment Thomas Tuchel is no longer have to worry about his job, he's like, well, fine. I'm going to put the guys where I think they're best. And that is right back for Joshua Kimmich. That is left back for Guerrero. You know, um, Dyer is playing. Um, that's that's one that I thought it was a little confusing, but Musiala on the left, Müller in the in the middle. Um, you know, from 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 a selection perspective, I actually thought he got that spot on, and you know, it gives it the result turns out that he was right. Right? Um, has Kimmich played his best game as right back in this particular match? I don't think so, but you can definitely tell that he's more influential from that position than he's maybe even from the middle. And he can give Bayern Munich another dimension because he, you have another playmaker in a different area of the field. And yeah, it's I, I find that enormously interesting. Um, does that mean everything at Bayern Munich is now fixed and good to go? I'm not sure because you still have the wobbles. There were many moments. I actually thought when uh, it was 1-1, Leipzig were, looked like the more likely team to make it 2-1 and maybe walk away with the win here. Um, then, of course, you get the magic, and that's why Harry Kane was 100 million euros, because he scores an unbelievable goal to make it 2-1. And, you know, it's been too long that we've seen that from him as well, this kind of performance where he scores scores two goals. So it's that's good news for them as well. But, Stefan, I still sense that this team has more wobbles in them. And I would actually say this formation that we saw here, that's going to be for the Champions League run, not for the Bundesliga. Yeah, it was so interesting, the kind of lineup that he went with. And he kind of made his excuses for why, you know, for example, Dyer in for Kim. He said Kim's still not 100% fit. The reason that Kim makes it right back is because he's the only player, one of the few players who can still play that position, even though Conrad Leimer was obviously on the bench. Um, 
And yeah, it, it felt very much like a performance where no one had any real expectations on their shoulder. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me was just how much Thomas Muller and Tuco were kind of laughing at the sidelines. Every time the camera cut to the sidelines, it was him and Muller just kind of joking around with each other, um, which I'm almost certain we never saw up until last week's announcement. Um, man, this is such a bizarre situation for, for Barnes being at the moment, isn't it? Where they've got head coaches for more or less being sacked um, or about to leave. Um, and, you know, they're picking up wins against what are supposed to be the second or third best team in the league. Um, and everyone's joking and smiling on the sidelines. Yeah, Toothless repeated on quite a few occasions that like, sort of denying that his team had got his freedom back to play or that the weight had been lifted or anything like that. Yeah, we, he kept insisting. I think we got a point. He kept insisting that he's he's not the problem here. He certainly doesn't see himself as the problem, obviously. Um, but yeah, the actions speak speak louder than words. In terms of, like you said, to Thomas Muller did look like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. It wasn't just in his personal interactions with with Tuchel. I thought even the build of the first goal, the way he suddenly drifts out into, you know, essentially he's a right winger, um, picking the ball right on the touchline, beating a man before continuing the uh, continuing the attack. Um, I wonder if that's what if that's perhaps what Muller meant in previous weeks when he said things like we don't have that freedom in our heads to play to drift where we want to drift to fall into positions that that yeah that that, that we'd like to. Um, I think similar can be said for uh, Rafael Guerrero's performance, the way he you know constantly made that transition from left back into that sort of left half space, and the the cross for Kane for the first goal is a perfect example of that. Um, I mean, he's brilliant in that position. I mean, one one game sticks in in my mind a a, a a a derby for Dortmund away at Schalke last season, where I think where Guerrero plays a similar role in that midfield and absolutely runs the show. Um, so that's yeah, absolutely his his best position as far as I'm concerned. Um, nevertheless, still the the best occasions to watch Bayern though were when they were when they got some acceleration into the game, and uh, there were still too many periods of play where they were a little bit. I thought slow and ponderous still and lacking in creativity still. However, there were more occasions where they yeah, you know, they added that, that penetration and that, that acceleration into the game. And the I think it's the, the second goal is a good example again. Um Guerrero and um Musiala adding that acceleration from the from the left hand side. Um and the, the the way Guerrero fed the ball inside, obviously it's Musiala who's then provided the the the, the assist ultimately. But it's in that same position where Guerrero scored against Union Berlin about thirty seconds after the start of the the, the of the second half in in that game. And that was the only moment in that game where we saw any sort of pace or penetration or acceleration from Bayern at all. Um, and yeah, it was the same against RB. I thought they were better when they brought that into the game. Um, and yeah. Maybe it's too late now to suggest that that's the way forward because uh, Tuchel's never going to have a chance to 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 um to, to show that. But um, yeah, 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 they were my my thoughts. On a ne- on a negative side, so I, was, I thought as good as as good as Pavlovich was in in an offensive sense. There were times increasingly in the second half where Bayern's midfield went completely walkabouts and RB were able to just progress through it so easily. And, and get shots on goal, and yeah, they had Neuer to thank for making a couple of great saves from Chesco. He was good. Neuer was really good in this game. Um, which one was it on? I'm trying to remember, was it Chesco? Mm-hmm. Where he made that 
almost there's two actually he does two similar saves yeah. in the space of a couple yeah. of minutes but the, one the, is particularly brilliant one-on-one -on -one when he gets his hand out the second one where it was almost like a hockey style ice hockey to use the european term um style save and it not only does he stop the ball but he keeps it that is incredible hard to do um, um, from an athletics standpoint, and I thought, wow, that, that was really good. And that was one of those really big moments. Of course, Leipzig then equalized afterwards, right? But there were so many moments um, where I thought Neuer was really good at this game. Um, yeah. You write Manu, about... Pa <laughs> I was just going to say, well, I'll maybe let you finish a Pavlovich point and then maybe <laughs> you can move on to Leipzig. Um, yeah. I'll go on and finish your point, actually, then I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, Pavlovich, um, I think we have to remember he's only 19. And that is the crazy thing about the way he's been performing, that he is going, he's getting this amount of playing time. Kind of um, in the face of people saying Tuchel can't develop young players, right? Because I would point to Pavlovich right there and say, look, he, Bayern didn't buy him a number six and he went to the academy and found one. Um, and I think he found one who was actually really good. Um, was playing in a in a really really important position for one of Europe's biggest clubs at the age of nineteen is very impressive, and yeah he he's not by no means the finished product but I you can see his potential is incredible. So yeah. I mean the, the the question is though whether it's number six or number eight and I, I can agree with Matt in the sense that he does seem to be more like Gretzka in the sense he has a tendency to want to get in the box and score or create chances which might still leave holes in that midfield but to kind of turn the attention towards Leipzig now Manu you they had their chances they obviously got a goal which let's be honest was a deflected shot um their xg was actually quite low despite maybe a handful of half decent chances and I saw one subscriber who I think was a Leipzig fan saying this is just so much like the the, the Real Madrid game recently in the Champions League where there's kind of moments from Leipzig, but for the most part, it just feels inevitable that they're going to let this game slip away from them. And the thing that I find quite intriguing is that whereas Tuchel has legitimate injury concerns and you know lack of depth in certain positions, not just in terms of Pavlovich or having to play Eric Dyer at centre-back, but the fact that Eric Chupamoting is having to come on in these games to kind of win them for Bayern is itself... A terrible indictment on the club's transfer policy over the last couple of seasons, in my opinion. Despite the fact he did a very good job, and all credits to him. But yeah, that's a discussion maybe for another day. Leipzig, on the other hand, are only missing one player, and they go into this game, Klosterman. And you know, we're we're looking at a squad here that's been expensively assembled. Marco Rosa was brought back as the, you know, Mister Mister Red Bull, um, and yet. Every time I watch Leipzig, I just kind of think, what's the point in this team? And I don't mean that in a very kind of existential 50 plus one, what's the point of Red Bull Leipzig in the German football? I mean, what's the actual team of this football? What's the point of this football project? Because it feels to me like every time they come into these big games, they just kind of seem to wither. I mean, yeah, that's that's true. But they're also one of the few teams in German football that go regularly to the Allianz Arena and get something done there, right? Um, that would be my, my counterpoint to this. Um, I think that this season in particular, um, Marco Rose is learning some tough lessons. Um, 
I thought it was a huge mistake to take Harvey Simmons off in the 87th minute for Elmas, for example. Um, three minutes later, Bayern make it 2-1, right? You're not taking... I understand that you need fresh legs and all that sort of stuff. We're going to talk about another coach who, who likes to bring on fresh legs for the fresh legs' sake. Um, but that it felt like that to me here. Javi Simmons is a, a player who brings an enormous amount of stability to that midfield. He can hold the ball. He can bring you security. He can create a little bit extra. In a big lame night that, you keep that player on until the very end. And, you know, I... I I remember saying it in the Substack chat at that moment. He's like, when he took Harvey Simmons off, I'm like, that's a mistake. And literally three minutes later, Harry came made a 2-1, right? And I just, you see that many times this season. Um, and we haven't really seen it in the past with Marco Rosa with his decision-making. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's him second-guessing. Maybe it, it, maybe it is the riches of choice that he has, right? Maybe it is because the entire team is healthy and maybe he has all these players and it's like, oh, well, we bought Elmas for, what, 30 million euros in the winter. We have to give him some playing time because how else are we going to justify it, right? I just think that maybe, you know, sometimes it's better to be a little bit uh, um, spoiled for choice, or not spoiled for choice, rather than the other way around. And um, yeah, I just, I see it there. And this was Leipzig's game for the taking. And I think in the end of the day, it was the coaching decisions that kind of threw it away. Yeah. Matt, I kind of made a point at full time on Twitter that uh, <laughs> if Javi Simmons, if they hadn't picked up Javi Simmons on loan this season, I really do think Leipzig would probably be struggling far further down the pitch there's the table than they are now and they probably would be amongst the the, the, the pack of you know your Werder Bremens and your Frankfurts and uh and the like and, and probably kind of just kind of maraundering around kind of mid-table what, what do you think of this team and, and, and what it's actually got going for it do you see it going forward do you see it going backwards do you think Marco Rosa maybe should be under a bit more pressure um, I do see going forward, but very slowly. I think, as you as you both said, this is probably the first time this this calendar year. Mm. I can even go back to the start of the season. They've had that proper first eleven, um, or what? Yeah, Klosterman aside. Although I, with the slight caveat, perhaps of Danny Almo not being quite fit, I don't think yet. Um, <clears throat> and as for Chesco's uh, clinicalness in front of goal, yeah, I think it is a problem. It absolutely costs them. Um, in in Munich, but then again, he is a, he's also only twenty, um, and I, I sort of see some parallels there with the pressure that maybe he's been put under the expectations of him there, um, almost compared with like with someone like Osmos Hoyland at Manchester United and the you know, being that that leading striker, but still being a still being a young player, um, essentially, um, I was a little bit particularly in the first half disappointed in in RB's midfield. Um, I think in, in the same way that Bayern let them sort of walk through the, the centre of the park a lot in the second half I thought RB were guilty of that conversely in, in the first half which is surprising because um, that that defensive pairing of Haidara and Schlager um, is absolutely one of, the, yeah, one of the two sort of double holding midfield partnerships in the league everyone's got one point Haidara I think he gets spun Really easily, but is it Pavlovich or Musiala? Um, I can't remember, can't remember who, 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 who it was precisely. Um, yeah, Schlager as well. Um, maybe he's a little bit unlucky with that tackle in the build up to Harry Kane's um, 
to, to the to, to the winning goal where he it's the winning goal where it's his tackle on Musiala where in the end it's actually I think it's actually Schlager who touches the ball on onto Kane, um, but positioning wise would perhaps have expected him typically to be in to be slightly better positioned for for that for that challenge. So disappointing from that point of view, but um, ultimately if if Shesko finishes well, there was chance particularly in the second half because they, they were the better team in the second half, uh, then they could have got something out of it. One little thing to come back on that Manu said before, I just, I just, uh, if I looked absent for 30 seconds or so before, it's because I was just double checking how many results they'd got at the Allianz Arena. I mean, they've only actually won there once in the league and two draws. So I wouldn't necessarily class Red Bull as a team who have gone to Munich and, and sure. often got and often got something. But they're, they're no glad backs. They're no glad backs. They're no Leverkusen. No Leverkusen. Yeah, but they also don't melt away like a certain team in black and yellow. Yes, you know? uh, and we can talk about usually, it now if it. you want. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, but no, know... you're absolutely right, Manu. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and <laughs> like, even just to jump on what Mab was saying, actually, the Schlager is such an intriguing player in this team because, I mean, maybe I'm being unfair, but I actually think he's more of a kind of squad or a backup player in the grand scheme of things who has been kind of thrust into their starting eleven out of necessity more than anything else and I think he's a very solid player to a point and he, he does his job very well which is to kind of break up plays make tackles interceptions but the fact that this entire team more or less pivots off of him almost single-handedly at times depend unless you know maybe you have some like Hidara in there who can play defensively but more often than not the whole team's pinned on him basically you know, defending like a champion week in, week out, when they, especially when he played his better teams. And at times it does feel like this team's almost quite top-heavy, even though it is, at the same time, and maybe paradoxically, they still rely on one attacking midfielder and Javi Simmons to kind of win the day for them every week. One little comment in uh, Zavoslager's defence is that I think for one of the, well, the saves that Neuer pulls off from Chesko, it comes from an absolutely perfect pinpoint pass from from uh, Schlager out of the same position that Guerrero played his pass for um, for Bayern in, in, into Kane for that header. Um, so yeah, and I, 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 maybe it sounds overly critical, but I, I'm, I'm, I am a fan of Zava Schlager's. I think he's a good midfielder. I think he offers, you know, bite and tenacity defensively and he's he shown that he, he can also play um, really sort of finesse through balls as, um, as well. So he's more than just a, just sort of a physical rampaging machine around midfield. He has also got a creative side to his game as well. Um, but yeah, I just thought, yeah, thought that particularly in the in the first half, that midfield pairing went completely missing. Bet online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up to the minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. Yeah. Well, to uh, to, to to steal Manu's uh, well-placed uh, transition there from one team who sometimes bottles it against Bayern to a team that almost always bottle against Bayern, um, Dortmund, um, who... And I kind of roundabout way kind of did poorly, then did really well, then did poorly all over again. And they're through to three to a defeat uh, to Hoffenheim. Um, 
guys, I didn't I didn't catch this game. I plan to watch it uh, after we record here because I'm doing my newsletter on Dortmund this week. But what was the kind of this gets one thing uh, straight because I think this is context is needed for this result, this performance, and Hoffenheim's opening goal. Matt, maybe you could explain this if you want, or either one of you jump in. Matt Hummels was not included in the matchday squad. Then we saw reports that he was driving to the game on his own, so not taking. So usually these teams travel to these games on a coach. They usually stay in, I think, I'm not sure if this case with Dortmund the home games, but they usually stay in a hotel beforehand, uh, the night before, so the club can keep an eye on the players. They all go to the matches together. Matt Hummels wasn't there for any of that. He obviously wasn't deemed suitable to start the game. Emery Chan starts the centre half and Hoffenheim's opening goal is an interception made when Emery Chan tries to pass the ball across the Dortmund goal and Bebu latches onto it and scores a goal. Who wants to kind of jump in there and, <laughs> and maybe explain what the hell is going on there? Stinking so much of um, it's like Groundhog Day watching them in that in that build up or attempted build up to play out from the back between uh, Emre Chan and Schlotterbeck with reminiscence of the goal that Bo- that they gave away against Bochum again trying to play out from the back and completely caught uh, that ended up on a Schlotterbeck own goal this ended up with uh, Bebu firing into the top corner um, so yeah Groundhog Day from that point of view and then at the other end of the pitch Groundhog Day in that they simply couldn't yeah, simply couldn't create anything uh, that was despite having Brandt back Um it says a lot that the two goals they did score actually came from set pieces, which I think is quite quite un quite un Dortmund like. It's just not even that the two goals they scored were really um yeah, were, were sort of like well created chances with good build or where you could see clearly what the patterns were. That's that's all still lacking. Um I feel like I was missing a little bit. I, I admittedly only only saw the second half. Um and I did see a few people, including yourself, Stefan, saying that you know, that in that first half Particularly for the, apparently there was apparently there was a twenty minute period where Dortmund were really really good and could have could have scored could have scored two or three it certainly wasn't the twenty thirty forty minutes that, that I saw in the second half um, so yeah I've, I've no idea what no idea what happened at, um, at half time because that certainly wasn't what I saw um I, I, I yeah. just thought no that was Manu speaking actually that was Manu put that in the group chat because I I I, I didn't catch giving Matt. Uh, so maybe I should have been to you first, Matt, since you're the guy who watched this game live oh. from start to finish. Uh, what, yeah. what did you make of the game? I am still baffled on how Dortmund gave this game away. Um, you know, as stupid as they were, and there's no other way of putting it, I'm not being polite here, um, because they, they don't deserve to be polite, but they were stupid to give away their first goal. And then I thought their reaction was really good. They made it 1-1, they made it 2-1. And then there was a moment where I thought, okay, they're going to make it 3-1, 4-1, 5-1. They're going to just... You know, it was one of those Dortmund moments where the stadium really comes alive and they really start to press. And then all of a sudden, it was like a collective, oh, we've won. Let's take the foot off the gas and just pass the ball around and be conservative. And I'm like, what? what's going on here? This Hoffenheim team was so dead. Like, this could have been a horrible night for them. Um, at the Westfalen Stadion, like it could have been really, really, really bad. And you know, Manu, could I, could I, could I actually jump in there for a minute before we move on? Just from that second goal, Nico Schlotterbeck scores the header, and he celebrates by um, clenching his bicep and pointing to it in front of the yellow wall. And 
I mean, I'm not a Dortmund fan. I, I don't go to the games. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, I find their misery quite entertaining. But if I was a Dortmund fan, watching not just any Dortmund player this season, but that player in particular, who perhaps more than anyone else in that team has not lived up to expectation, score a goal like that and then march off to the stand and you know flex his bicep as if he was Cristiano Ronaldo... That would have just drove me insane. And it's then Stefan Kunz, it's Stefan Kunz celebration, no? The bicep. Was it? Yeah, oh, I, I also yeah. I also want I don't know, but I wonder if it's a reference to to uh Niklas Fulkog. He's been he's been doing that, I think, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, but he got it from Kunz, I think. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's some sort of internal joke that we're all yeah. missing, and clear. I mean, yeah, clearly the, yeah, the we joke missed, we were was, literally missing it because yeah, well, you the know, joke like, is the joke is ultimately on Nico Flosserbeck because um, it's it's he's I think he's at fault in the build up to the Hoffenheim's third goal as well when they're trying to build up, and I mean then again it's a, that's not a catalogue of errors. You, they're trying to play out the back again, and it's gone wrong again. Ian Martin, who I think has been absolutely fantastic since this idea, but he's found himself far too far out the pitch, which means the Slotterbacks Slotterbacks ended up trying to begin the build-up play from left-back. And when it all goes wrong, it means there's nobody at centre-back. And, um, yeah, Hoffenheim are able to just walk through. I I mean, I tried to make this point, but they shouldn't even be in this situation in the second half. No, they shouldn't. This game should have kicked off the second 45 minutes with Dortmund being up 4-1. You know, like they had, they had that momentum to really put a really poor Hoffenheim side to the sword, and it didn't. And I, you know, like we were going to talk probably about the substitutions as well, but you're seeing a Dortmund side here when Dortmund were at their best, and a team was on their back foot. What would they do? They would absolutely crush that team, right? They would absolutely crush that team, and um. For whatever reason, this team was taught to take the foot off the gas pedal and be conservative and pass the ball around in a way that maybe a Man City or Bayern Munich do when Bayern Munich were at the best, right? You know you know what I mean? Like, you got the second goal and let's be patient and get the third and then the fourth. They don't have that ability. And if they have a head coach who thinks that the team has that ability that is out of touch in reality... Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. You hit your nail on the head there when you say there's a kind of this kind of weird kind of debate over, well, maybe it's not a debate, but it's the kind of there's only two options here: either head coach isn't good enough, the players aren't good enough, and it does kind of lead into these kind of, well, yeah, and, and you're right, it, it it can be both, absolutely, and it almost certainly is. But, man, let me throw this to you. Um, I've kind of got I I I tweeted about this actually last night. And I deleted the the tweet because it was a little inaccurate, and I'll explain why in a moment. But Dortmund go away to Wolfsburg. Um, Fulkrug scores in the eighth minute. Wolfsburg equalised in the sixty fourth minute. In seventy ninth minute, um, Terzic takes off Royce Sancho, and then Fulkrug comes off, and he brings on Bino Gittens, Mukuku, and Ozchan. Three strikers off, two on. Uh, he then goes to PSV, a game that technically you would think Dortmund should be competitive in. Uh, they again score an opening goal. They then concede a late one. Uh, not a late one, sorry. They concede an equaliser after the halftime. Uh, he takes Brandt off, he takes Royce off for Brandt. He takes Sancho off for Wolf. Takes Daniel Malin off for Ozchan. And then again replaces Fulkrug with Makuku. In that situation, he took four forwards off and brought two on. And in this match... 
he brings off Fulkrug, Sancho, and Matson. As you mentioned, Matson probably one of Dortmund's best attacking players. And it, at the very least, he replaces him with three actual um, other forwards in Makuku, Bayogetins, and Adyemi. But in each instance, it feels like rather than kind of carefully tweaking his team, Terzic kind of treats substitutions. It, it reminds me of like American football when they swap from all offense to defense and he just kind of hails on like 20 new players. Like, right, you guys go have some fun with it. And it's almost like he just presses the reset button when things aren't working well and just kind of thought, think, right, you guys go figure it out and see if you can, if if just the sheer body count of new faces might kind of shock the opponents into letting us try and win this game. Yeah, no, that's that's precisely it. And I mean, it's, it's happening so often now. It's yet another of the Groundhog Day phenomena around Borussia Dortmund. It's, it's less swapping like offensive players for defensive players and or going or switching from attack to defence. It's more just, it literally is like for like. Replace like for like, and with the best will in the world, I, I can't. I simply can't detect what more there is to it than than that. And I think we've said enough. Or I, I've repeated it um, on loads of occasions that it, it does sometimes work for them, especially because the caliber of, of, of player that you're bringing on, the likes of uh, this night was Adeyemi, it was uh, Makoku, Jamie Bynal Gittens. They are absolutely players who can have an effect off the bench or who can have individual flashes. I can think of Adiemi down a left wing away at Frankfurt, um, Mukoku on loads of occasions off the bench, um, Bino Gittens um, away at Darmstadt. Um, and this was the case last year as well. I think Bino Gittens a few times off, off the bench. These players do have impact, but... It really is getting... The, the, the evidence is stacking up now. They're having impact purely through the nature of them just simply being new legs, fresh legs. There's no particular change to the system. Um, and the the worst example of this was when they looked at their most desperate on the final day against Mainz last season where they sort of just threw on uh, Julian Turonville who hadn't played off season. It was just like, well, do something. Maybe, maybe some sort of individual... Um, action will, will will come out of the bag, but this time you know, it it wasn't it, it wasn't there this time this time. Sometimes it comes off, and, but there's no particular plan behind it, and that's becoming increasingly the case. Um, it's not going to get any any easier now because we we've sort of been, or at least I have, I've been critical of Borussia Dortmund since the start of the year, despite the wins. I think at one point they had that three or four wins on the balance, or, or unbeaten, and only conceded one goal. They'd caught up with RB, they'd over they'd overtook them and got into fourth place. But the performances weren't good, and therefore could see the performances were particularly good. But now it's going to get even harder for them, because they've not even got easy fixtures now. Because they, they were wins against Cologne, against Darmstadt, against whatever, uh, with all due respect. But now you've got just the, the next sort of six Bundesliga games. This is this without even thinking about PSV. But the next six Bundesliga games, Frankfurt, Bayern, Stuttgart, Gladbach, Leverkusen, RB. Um... This is going to be really, really, really tough for Dortmund to Watch get to the Champions League. Watch them don't beat Bayern in a year where they don't need to win this game. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. Manu, let me ask you this, but so we can maybe put a cap on the Dortmund <laughs> game because you know you would expect them to probably <laughs> get past PSV since it's a draw. They take a draw to yeah, the Westfalen yeah. Stadion. But looking at that kind of run <laughs> of fixtures, do you think Terzic will still be the head coach by the end of the season? So I made two mistakes yesterday. One was that I went on Twitter, formerly or ex formerly known as Twitter. And my second was that I looked up B4B and Aiden Tersic and uh 
going based on that platform's reaction of people who are Dortmund fans, I think it would be really tough to continue with Eden Terzic, but there is no way that Hans-Joachim Batzke is going to change the course. You know, anyone who's followed Hans-Joachim Batzke as in recent months and the, the way he's sort of mapped this out for Borussia Dortmund, I think they, they programmed in a course um, and if that course leads straight into the into the midst of the sun, so be it. Um, they're going to stay to the course um, no matter what. And I just don't I don't see a coaching change here. I, I mean, Matt, Matt, maybe you you feel different about this, but I just I I get the sense this is a club um, led by a person who is unwilling to make any change at the moment. No, I tend to agree. I don't, don't think there will. I don't think there'll be a coaching change before the end of the season. I, I absolutely think there will be one in the summer. I think that's nailed on. I, I, I can't, I can't see it, and especially if they don't get, if they don't get Champions League. And I think that is looking increasingly um, unlikely now. It's not like at Bayern where Champions League exit would absolutely accelerate the firing of the coach I think we said last time I suspect I, I don't know but I can imagine a possibility even at Bayern Munich that even though Tuchel has been it, it's now all been done and dusted they said he'll be there at the end of the season then he's going if they were to get knocked out by Lazio I do I wouldn't be surprised if they brought that forward and they said right you got now because that's that's the only that's the well that's literally the only reason he's still there um, as, as for Dortmund we we sort of joked before. I said Dortmund can actually beat anyone on their day at home, and he said, "Yeah, apart from um, apart from Offenheim, <laughs> so so any anyone gold or perhaps even or Heidenheim." Did, did we make this joke at the start of the season that Dortmund struggle against teams that begin with H and end in Heim? Um, <laughs> so, but uh, but you, you wouldn't be surprised if they if they beat PSV at home. I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. Daniel Marlon was fantastic in the in the in the in the first leg. And um, the Champions League performances have been good this year. They, they really have been. Um, and then, you know, with a little bit of luck, you get a manageable opposition in the, Lazio. In the, quarter, in the quarter. Yeah, Lazio in the quarters. Uh, and then, who knows? I mean, what, genuinely, would it be a massive, massive shock to see this Dortmund team suddenly in the semi-finals in the Champions League? And who knows what they, happens they, after that? Yeah, yeah. The things, I think, worst things have happened, but. If they were to get beat by PSV, I don't know if they would pull the if they would pull the plug. I think they would still persevere with Terzis to try and get Champions League again via the league, which I don't think they will now because of the fixture list. I think it'd be too tough for them. Um, and then they're going to be yeah in the same situation in summer that Bayern Munich are in right now for the second time, and it'll be all change, big transition, complete restart at Borussia Dortmund, new CEO, potentially new sporting director, movements within the hierarchy, players out, players in, new head coach, and we'll go from there. Well, the only thing that made me pause um, was the fact that I learned that Aiden Tezic is on three and a half million euros a season. That is a staggering amount of money for head coach at Borussia Dortmund. Um, and that yeah, I mean, I wish I was at three and a half million this season. <laughs> but I mean, that comes also with a, you know, the um, conservative Geschäftsmann Watzke, the conservative businessman Watzke may even consider that as a bit rich for a team that misses out on a top four spot. Yeah, but yeah, it does kind of feel like all the stars are still kind of aligning for, Va- for Terzic at the moment in the sense that um, 
there's no one really interested seemingly in breaking into that top four this season except for Stuttgart. You know, Frankfurt, Werder Bremen, obviously Bremen have done well to get back up there, but Freiburg, Wolfsburg, Gladbach, Union Berlin. These are all teams that would have been pushing Hoffenheim as well, of course, up until this weekend's result. And top these are all five teams... might be enough. And the top well, five yeah, might also yeah, be enough, that, right? That was, that was my next point, that um, first point is that all these teams who were pushing for kind of not top four per se, but like putting pressure on the top four last season have all fallen off. Uh, Dortmund could finish fifth and still get the Champions League. Um, and unlike a Tuchel who could get who could lose in the Champions League and then Bayern would say that's enough's enough, enough uh, you could quite easily see Eden Terzic just kind of embracing this kind of farewell tour. Um, at the end of the season and having these heartfelt moments with a yellow wall because he's a fan and because at the end of the day the fans obviously still appreciate him and love him and, and for what he is and, and that's fair enough but that means that you know it's 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 not like just sacking a Marco Rosa or someone and saying right you've not done your job thanks but no thanks with Terzic you can understand them saying well you know if we finish fifth and get Champions League we might as well let him stay and say his goodbyes and things and I think that probably would sum up the kind of malaise at Dortmund quite well, to be honest with you. Two more, two two more remarks about that about that game. First of all, just because you mentioned um, standing ovations in front of the yellow wall and all that, uh, a lot was made, a lot has been made in the German media about the whistles at full time um, in Dortmund. Um, it is it is quite it is quite unusual. Definitely a contrast to the final league against Mainz when you would have thought. You know that that was the absolute catastrophe that took place, and um, yeah, th- there were no whistles to be heard. There were, yeah, there were loud whistles this time, although I thought it was quite telling. And I say this completely neutrally, and read into it what you will. But when you could hear all the whistles, the the camera was panning straight onto the like the, the center of the yellow wall, where it was quite obvious that it wasn't the sort of five six hundred ultras whistling. They were all they were all clapping of doing some sort of clapping, whatever they do. Um, so, yeah, I just find it interesting sometimes that the different responses of, I suppose, different types of fans and people of different perspectives on it, that there were absolutely loud whistles from all over the stadium, uh, but quite clearly not from that particularly hardcore group. So, um, yeah, that, that was one observation I thought at the end, and maybe it just, yeah, maybe that was a double save turns it's his job, that, that, that sort of reaction, I, I don't know. Um, and the other one, um, it was quick on Hoffenheim. Um, Manu, you sort of, yeah, you slagged them off quite a lot. They, they, they should have been battered in this game. But all credit to Max Bayer, who has been absolutely brilliant. He's been brilliant to watch no, all season. I, I said they should have been battered in the first half. In the first half, fair enough. But um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, but um, uh, Maxi Bayer was again absolutely fantastic. Gets obviously a, a massive bit of luck with with his shot, which deflects in. Um, I'm pretty sure that shot's going to the wars the corner flag. Then. Than going to the back of the net, but it's it's gone in there, so fair enough. And he's the only I've just checked kickers' uh, match ratings for the game. He's the only Hoffenheim player that ranks um, above or beneath two kicker ratings. Are number one is one out of six is good, six out of six is terrible. Uh, every Hoffenheim player is around about four out of six, so all bad. Uh, apart from Maxi Bayer at one point five, man of the match. Mm. Yeah, um, guys, that's us now in fifty-five minutes. Um, that means we're done, ma- <laughs> which means I'm, which means we're done. But uh, and you know, as I said before we started recording the show, I'm here specifically to make sure you two don't record another two-hour show. Um, 
But Matt, I did promise I'd give you a chance to speak about FC Cone and that 1-1 draw with Stuttgart, so you have 60 seconds. You have 60 seconds starting now. I also caught the second half of this game and um, I thought it was a really, really well-deserved point for FC down the bottom. Uh, didn't see them getting a point there, and um, especially when they went for goal behind. Uh, but a couple of fantastic saves from Marvin Schreiber kept them in the game. Uh, Farid Alidou was again a great option on the counter-attack actually should have won it for Cologne had a fantastic chance for one-on-one tries to go around the keeper rather than shooting first time uh, but yeah really really well uh, really yeah, well des- well deserved point whether it's enough to um, yeah to, to keep them up or even help them get a result against Leverkusen next week I don't um, I don't know they're a, they're a very limited team but absolutely fighting spirit and a bit of a structure there increasingly to see under Timo Schultz and yeah, two dropped points for Stuttgart. Hmm. We did that, that with ten seconds. Ten seconds to spare, actually. Uh, there we go. So <laughs> there we go. See if I if I if I crack the whip, you guys can do this very quickly. So maybe <laughs> we just need to do that more often. Keep us, this keep show, us this, in line. This podcast could have been four minutes long. Um, <laughs> probably could. I think actually. that's. I think that probably sums things up this week, guys. Manu, maybe you want to jump in and just kind of mention uh, something about the. The match day chat, the match day thread over the weekend. I didn't get much. I didn't get much of a chance to jump into it. Do you have a standing total of how many messages we had this week uh, or this it, weekend? So, 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 Bayern won, and we still got almost six hundred. Um, <laughs> and it actually kept going all the way to Sunday. People were watching the the Augsburg Freiburg game. We're discussing that, um, and so yeah, it went pretty much through the entire match day. We used to. Basically, the buying game would happen. We would get ninety percent of messages there, and that was it. It's it's really kind of spread throughout the entire match day now. It's a great community. Um, you know, honestly, I think it's a really good alternative to some other social media platforms that um, have some questionable characters on it because we don't seem to have many questionable characters other than us on that Substack chat. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been really enjoying apart, it. Apart I, from I, us three, yeah, apart from us three, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you interested in, you know, checking that out, um, and you want more content than the two podcasts than we do as well, right? If you want to find a community and you want a bit more content every week, I think the Substack is a really good platform for that. So yeah, we'll check it out. Yeah. And it's also, uh, subscribing also means you can leave a comment underneath this podcast as well, which our paid subscribers do as well, uh, under each other podcast. So it's also another opportunity to chat to people as well. Um, and yeah, I think that about wraps it up. So I'll say goodbye. I'll say thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing to the Substack. Um, and yeah, Manu, I'll let you finish things off with uh, your famous last words. Well, one more thing. We have to say the show is brought to you by Bet Online, And then I'm going to say goodbye. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on. 
Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.